Welcome to another episode of the Carnal Extremities Podcast, a podcast pairing up extreme horror films with extreme music to satisfy all of those draconian desires. I am your host, Raina Cervantes, and joining me as always is... I'm Vanna. Hello, hello. How has your week been? It has been... a week. (laughs) I started school again today actually so i've just been a little frazzled getting ready for that but other than that i've been enjoying watching some horror movies like always i like low-key don't expect anything more of you no i'm kidding no real that's literally all i do just school and horror (laughs) movies (laughs) pretty much and the two intertwines well see look now you made it like part of your livelihood so watching horror is like sort of required to live in a way yeah i uh i just call it research now (laughs) ding 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 that's the word we were looking for um my week on the other hand has been kind of a little relaxed uh i haven't been doing much just because i have a lot of traveling coming up and i've been kind of planning all of that out uh I, I realize in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be taking like like four or five flights and I'm not looking forward to it. That sounds stressful and like something that I do not want to do. I mean, I like traveling. It's just I don't like like having to go to the airport so early. I don't like having to go two hours before my flight. And one of my flights is at is at 7 a.m. So I got to be there like at 5 a.m. at the airport. Oh, yikes. Are you yeah. flying out of LAX? No, I'm flying out a of uh, Palm Springs to Phoenix and then oh. f- from Phoenix to Austin, Texas for two days and then back to Phoenix. Goodness, that. I'm glad it's not me. <laughs> yeah, all this during like Super Bowl weekend, too. So I'm just like and and for like people listening that don't know the super bowl is in phoenix this year oh i i've been completely oblivious to everything super bowl so i'm just finding that out right now so that sounds like it will not be a super great traveling time i know when i went to russia it happened to be when the world cup for soccer was in moscow uh-huh. And it like we were only in Moscow for like a couple days, like most of my trip was in other places, but we did visit Moscow for a couple days and it was not great having to navigate around a bunch of soccer tourists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I'm hoping for the best, but kind of expecting the worst. Um, I, I really like planned the Austin trip like kind of on a whim because I'm going to be staying in Phoenix for an extended period. And then an event is coming up in Austin, Texas that I really wanted to go to and finally visit some Austin friends. And uh, I was like, okay, I'll go out there in like two days. As soon as I'm there, I'm turning around and coming right back. But then I was like, oh, shit, Super Bowl Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that does sound fun, I guess. I've never been to Texas, so I've always wanted to visit Austin, but... Yeah, definitely. We'll do that at a 
different time of the year. <laughs> yeah, I'm going for a a King Cast event. They're they're screening Maximum Overdrive and 35 millimeter at the Alamo Draft House. And oh, that's gonna be fun. Yeah, and that's like one of my favorite like Stephen King movies. And I had promised a friend that if it ever screened in 35 millimeter, I would fly out there and make the trek to go see it. So I'm keeping true to my word. But uh, also, I'm going to Phoenix for an extended period just to visit friends and uh, to see Paramore in concert. Wow. Okay, you got quite quite the trip lined up yeah that sounds so exciting yeah uh, like went from like literally doing nothing to like doing so much in the next couple months that i'm like okay we need to slow down with the plans um paramore is special though because i think it's the first time i'm seeing them since 2008 and we actually managed to get floor seats for this one. Oh my goodness yeah oh wow, yeah that's a long that's a long time ago Oof. Yeah, I think they only had two, three albums out. It was for Brand New Eyes at Warp Tour the last time I saw them. Oh, wow. Yeah. What and a blast from the past. <laughs> I, speaking of blast from the past, apparently like their entire set list for this tour is just nothing but like greatest hits and a few new songs off of their album that kind of sound like their old style. I love that. I like that everything that we liked when we were younger is just coming back. <laughs> I like it, but then I remember it's because we're getting old. Yeah, it's like vintage now. <laughs> listen, listen, I started to turn into a skeleton when Haley Williams like said she was like 34 years old. Oh, yeah. Ooh, I use her uh, brand of hair dye, actually. Is that any good? good? I, I, I had thought about trying it last time I dyed my hair, but I didn't know if it was any good. I like it. It's, um... Mm -hmm. The formulation could improve. It's a bit thick and mm -hmm. in certain ways makes it hard to actually figure out how your hair will turn out in regards to like how it compares to other like fashion dyes. Like when you're doing your hair like neon green, mm -hmm. it it's best that the hair dye itself is the color that it will be mm -hmm. turning out. But I used her like copper color, which is like kind of like her almost her signature hair color, too. Mm -hmm. And I really liked it. Um, I'll definitely be trying it in the future. Not sure what hair colors I'm going to try, but yeah, I enjoy it. I just went back to black. Like I got tired. Like I used to have like just like uh, my bangs bleached like blonde. And uh, mm -hmm. I got tired of like rebleaching those like over and over and the rest of my hair was brown and it was just like it looked like I don't know my hair looked like fudge like swirl fudge. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. I do um, I do play around with the idea of going back to black because it's mm -hmm. just so much easier to maintain. Mm -hmm. But then I always find myself like missing fun colors or i like having reddish copper hair because it goes with my freckles but it's just so hard to maintain <laughs> yeah i think to kind of counter that like it just went with like the total like shag cut like like a haircut i had never had before to kind of like soften the blow of like oh i'm going back to black hair yeah that's 
That always helps. I got to have something going on, whether it's like new bangs or like a new hair color or mm-hmm. new tattoos or something. I got to do something to make yeah. me feel something. Yeah, no, definitely. I agree. Um, So the stuff we're covering this week on the pod is pretty exciting. Would you say yes? No, maybe. Am, am I talking out I my am... ass? <laughs> Oh yeah, I'm I'm very excited for what we're covering this week. Yeah, it's another mainstream movie. I feel like these first couple episodes are going to be like a little mainstream just because like I don't want to throw anyone in the deep end of like, yo, we're watching Tokyo Gore Police this week. Um, <laughs> yeah, like I know we have like maybe some friends that are into the extreme horror that are probably going to see some of these episodes and be like, this is not, that is not extreme, but I think it's really fun to kind of cover the more mainstream or like the what's above the water on the extreme iceberg before we dive deeper. I think that's really fun. Yeah. And I feel like, I feel like that whole like, Oh, this is extreme, but this isn't is like very gatekeepy. And if I can, like, open the gate to somebody to try out, like, more extreme stuff or, like, the more aggressive side of the extreme spectrum, I'm all for it. And if that means covering these lesser or more mainstream ones to kind of nudge them in that direction, I'm all for it. Yeah, I think it's almost fun if it was, like, a guide to extreme horror. You would start You would start small, especially like, you know, if you had a friend who wasn't a horror fan, like think about the things that you would start showing them to ease them in. And then like you take those steps like I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe some of us, but I don't know anyone who just like started their horror journey by like trying to watch August Underground or something, you know, like Jesus. <laughs> you're gonna you 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 start with the saws and the hostels and the you know the the studio horror, if you will, like before you get before you get deep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not unless you're just like a total psychopath and you do start with August Underground, which I would really <laughs> like to meet the person that, that 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 is their first horror movie. Yeah, so I guess shout out if if any of you weirdos are out there, let us know. <laughs> oh my gosh, or don't let us know. I'm not judging. Maybe it's best we don't know who you are. Um, yeah. But that leads me to uh, introduce the film that we're covering this week. Um, the film we're covering this week is The Devil's Rejects, written and directed by Rob Zombie, released July 22nd, 2005. After a raid on the rural home of the psychopathic Firefly family, two members of the clan, Otis and Baby, managed to flee the scene. Heading to a remote desert motel, the killers reunite with Baby's father, Captain Spaulding, who is equally demented and intent on maintaining their murder spree. While the trio continues to torment and kill various victims, the vengeful Sheriff Wydell slowly closes in on them, leading to a ruthless final showdown. The middle chapter of Zombie's Firefly trilogy, The Devil's Rejects is often considered an improvement over its predecessor, The House of a Thousand Corpses, and has built up a large cult following over the years that in turn has led to the final part of the trilogy, Three from Hell, finally being released in 2019. What police have uncovered reads like this. Words can't describe it. 
We here, we are playing on a level that most will never see. You're gonna start the killing. You best start it right here. Okay, Vanna, I want to say that you suggested both of these picks this week, in a way, right? You did, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is like an all-you episode. <laughs> yikes. No, no, <laughs> no guess... yikes. This is, this is like, I came to you and went, what, what should we cover? What do you want to talk about? Yeah, I, um... Yeah, I don't I don't really know exactly what made me think that this should be our next pick. Um I've just been like a lifelong Rob Zombie fan, I guess. Um so I guess it almost seemed fitting. I guess as far as my personal journey as a horror fan to like you know, cover one of the things that is like quintessential to my being. Mm-hmm. So what what's your history with the Devil's Rejects, do you? Do you have a memory of when you first saw it or something that drew you to it? Like where where does your journey start with Rob Zombie and or the Devil's Rejects? So um, I have been a lifelong Rob Zombie fan. Like I grew up listening to Rob Zombie, but um, my journey with the Devil's Rejects specifically happened a lot later in life. Um the House of a Thousand Corpses is like one of my favorite movies of all time. Like I have a tattoo for it. I love this movie. Um, but I was kind of weary, I guess you could say, of Rob Zombie's other films. Um, he's kind of controversial in the sense that his films are very divisive. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I see like the quality of his films being debated a lot. So I think that kind of like made me steer away from it and just like enjoying one of my favorite movies, like on its own. Hmm. And it wasn't until I think sometime in the pandemic that I actually watched the devil's rejects. I actually remember. (laughs) Yeah. I actually remember um, seeing the cover for it Mm -hmm. all the time at the local video store and it was one of those covers that I guess made an impact. Like I would always see it and I always want to pick it up. Um, it was something that was down my alley, but I was just like not quite sure. And it just never happened. And then I was like, you know what? I got to I got to finally watch this movie. <laughs> wow, that's like that's insane to me. But I guess I guess it's really not insane because like you said, you were turned off by by it because of the conversation around zombies horror films and the way people like describe his certain like how do i put this his certain like certain trademarks i would say 
of a Rob Zombie. Yeah, he movie. has a very um distinct style, I guess you could say. It's almost like Texas Chainsaw 74 cranked up to about 11 and then like deep fried in a way. Yeah, he actually has described House of a Thousand Corpses itself as Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Rocky Horror Picture Show put into a blender. Ooh. And I love that. And because that's everything about me that would just make a perfect film. Mm-hmm. How, like Devil's Rejects itself is so different from House of a Thousand Corpses. So mm-hmm. I think... um it was always interesting because I always knew that people saw it as an improvement upon his debut film, but I guess I wasn't sure how to take that information given that I loved house of a thousand corpses and other people did not that whatever their perspective of an improvement might be, might not be exactly what I would be into. Mm -hmm. I just, so I just wasn't sure how to gauge it, but once I watched it, I loved it and i definitely have learned over the last few years to like not at all take anything that other people say about certain horror movies like at face value because everyone's taste is just so different and even my own taste has varied so much over the years that i'm just like i need to stop i need to stop listening to what people say (laughs) wow that's I have never heard of anyone that like skipped out on Devil's Rejects because they like House of a Thousand Corpses too much. It's usually the opposite. Oh, I skipped out on Devil's Rejects because I hated House of a Thousand Corpses. Yeah, yeah. I guess just knowing that people saw it as an improvement, mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know what your it's- definition of improvement me you know like not knowing like what people like about a movie or don't like like was was it, it imp- everything i don't like yeah was it was it like a fear that everything you loved about the first one was just gonna get tossed out in the sequel and like thrown away for like something completely new yeah i guess so i guess that and then also i think his other films have started to make their own reputations um I wasn't initially a fan of his Halloween, which came out only a couple years after this film. So I already had a perception of other films he was making after having a more established directorial style come from Devil's Rejects. So then, like, in retrospect, I wasn't sure what I would be getting with Devil's Rejects. I definitely have changed my opinion of some of his other movies too. And that's why I also finally made the dive um, experiencing some of his other films along the way. I like during COVID, I just did kind of like a Rob Zombie marathon, I think mm-hmm. because um, during that time, Shudder put the uh, Firefly trilogy on to Shudder. I think or like 31 had released. So because of that, and in light of just marathoning movies and what I watch typically coincides with what Shudder's releasing at the time. So I think that's when I did that kind of like marathon of his filmography. Still missing some stuff, but you know, 
I find Rob Zombie to be one of the more interesting directors working in the horror scene today. Um, he exists like almost in his own category where he is so committed to his style and convictions, whether they be good or bad as uh, in the end result that you almost can't help but respect how much he commits to the bit <laughs> for lack of better. Yeah, terms. that's, yeah, that's 100% um, how I've grown to love him in a way. Um, and another reason why I also want to continue to take a bite at each of his films, um, regardless of whether or not it's something I want, because he's not making movies we want. He's making movies he wants. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I just absolutely respect that about him. I also just respect that he himself is a huge horror fan and mm-hmm. you can tell that a horror fan is making horror movies that he wants as a mm-hmm. fan and i just i just respect that i i love that he's not gonna really like bow down to anything that anyone wants regardless of whether or not we like let his movies flop or you know like i just think that's so unique and I think whether or not his style is for you, you should value that someone is sticking with their style. Like, I think that's so important to like value in an industry like the film industry, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. with so many like directors or filmmakers get so discouraged because of feedback or studio drama, production, hell funding issues. And he's, not one of those people who lets that bring him down i would say that the devil's rejects in a way is the first rob zombie movie where he kind of really comes into his own style um personally i feel like house of a thousand corpses it's still very much musician rob zombie still making a movie and devil's rejects it comes across as like oh filmmaker rob zombie is very separate from musician rob zombie in terms of what I want to set out and do like their visions aligned a lot less on devil's rejects. And he became like in his own way, like a trademark director. Yeah. 100% because like, obviously he had his career, um, you know, doing his music videos and like working on other works like Pee Wee's playhouse and stuff like that. Yeah. With house of a thousand corpses, you do really see, him coming out of that career, having made his own music videos and working on other productions. Also house of a thousand corpses was conceived uh, when creating a maze for Halloween horror nights. And I feel that the film itself feels like you're moving through a maze. Um, So it's interesting that a film came from a maze rather than, what we typically see with horror nights where the mazes are themed from films, Mm -hmm. I guess, if that makes sense, which is fun because in 2019, I did actually get to go through the house of a thousand corpses maze that they had that year at horror nights. Um, Oh, wow. But yeah, so I think it's, it's definitely, you know, a debut film. You can see the seeds being planted in what is going to become his style but devil's rejects for sure 
feels like he's really coming into his own and mm-hmm. not just with style, but also like actors that he likes to work with and, and things like that. So I do think that this film is just really important for his career. And I guess maybe gaining some respect as a director rather than this weird kooky movie that <laughs> feels like a weird maze or music video and, I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's just it's really interesting to see that step that happened between these two films. This came at a time when Lionsgate was kind of going all in on the more extreme side of horror. Um, they had done Saw the year before. They already agreed to do Eli Roth's Hostel. And they greenlit this after making all of their money back uh, from distributing House of a Thousand Corpses on on like a single like first day theatrical run. So they kind of like funded this movie and told them, go nuts. Like, what's your next idea? And Zombie has gone on record to say that he wanted to make this one more horrific and less cartoonish than in Corpses. Um, why Why do you think that is? Do you think there there was like more motive behind that or was it strictly a creative decision? I would like to say that's just a step he probably wanted to take as a director I know a lot of directors, they like try to, I guess, artistically put themselves on this trajectory where they're like moving from one step to another, almost like challenging themselves. Um, Mm -hmm. So I would like to say that it was maybe an artistic challenge to especially to gain respect and like move away from just like you said earlier, like music video director, musician Rob Zombie to filmmaker, director, writer, Rob Zombie. Um, I also think maybe just in regards to his actual influences. So like with with House of a Thousand Corpses, you know, he said, put Texas Chainsaw and Rocky Horror into a blender. But this one really feels like a different octave of homage to the films that he was inspired by like hills have eyes and texas chainsaw massacre i also think it's kind of indicative of the torture porn era that we kind Mm -hmm. of discussed with the last episode because Mm -hmm. this film came out um like a couple years after the remake of texas chainsaw massacre so we're seeing remakes of the exact films that he's inspired by having this new early 2000s really gritty but in a different way um a, a year later i think the remake for hills of eyes came out too so i think it just really fits in with like what's happening in horror and what's happening with the horror films that inspired him and where he wanted to go with his career it's just yeah it's just really interesting as far as like a case study for like that era of time It's interesting you brought up his influences for House of a Thousand Corpses because Rob Zombie has gone on record stating that his influences for The Devil's Rejects were Bonnie and Clyde, The Wild Bunch, Badlands, and the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, In a way, he said he wanted to not necessarily do the single location film like in House of a Thousand Corpses and do almost a road movie where you follow these characters as they're like, traveling and wreaking havoc as they go about their business um also this movie was slammed with the nc-17 rating about eight times um 
Yikes. And uh, they they said they didn't have like necessarily a problem with like some of the acts of violence or gore in the film, but more of that, the tone of it, like the tone was so dreary. Like it's a like going from House of a Thousand Corpses to this is like straight up fucking whiplash. Yeah, I think it really um it's really a development of the Firefly family. Um, even if we aren't situated within the home of the Fireflies and with the entire family together as a unit, like we see in the first uh film. But like developing the characters that people care about, like Baby and like Otis and Captain Spaulding or Cutter, we hear him referred to. Um, I think it's really interesting because like the Manson family cult and their home videos were really influential in House of Thousand Corpses. And that's why there's a lot of those like weird cutaway home video scenes and babies inspired by squeaky um and otis kind of plays on that like manson type of character where he's like spewing this weird these weird monologues and all that such but then we kind of see a little bit more grounded of characters and i think that's what gets people uncomfortable um he's not a lunatic spewing some weird monologue he's a very dangerous criminal and even baby like she's not just eye candy that's luring people to the house like she means business in this movie um so i think there's kind of like a shift and captain spaulding too he's like just like this fun clown guy but he is he's out of the clown costume in this film and he is just as much a part of the violence and madness as any of the other fireflies. So I think it's just a really interesting like step in grounding the characters in very like a very specific type of violence that people don't like to be faced with. All of this brought to life like in spectacular fashion with, like you said, um, Rob Zombie kind of using his murderer's row of actors for the first time. You really start to see this crew be assembled. Um, sure, they were in the first movie, but but Bill Mosley, Sherry Moon Zombie, and uh, Sid Haig really, really sell this movie for me. Yeah, I am a huge Otis Driftwood fan. Mm-hmm. I love Bill Mosley um, in everything that he does and i think casting is something that rob zombie gets flack for because he has a lot of the same people being cast repeatedly but also he gets a lot of flack for casting his wife Mm -hmm. but i don't think people like because of those things i don't think people fully grasp how well he can cast a film Mm -hmm. i like bill mosley is an icon and he is so captivating as Otis. Like I just love listening to him talk (laughs) and listening to his voice. Um, You know, she's recast in this film, but in the first film, Karen black plays mother firefly and she's such a horror icon. And in this film we see PJ souls, you know, from the original Halloween 
having a side part in this film. We see Danny Trejo, Machete. Like, mm-hmm. there's there's so many iconic people, and he always has iconic actors that were, like, in films that he loves and is inspired by, and often a lot of, like, older women who maybe by Hollywood standards wouldn't necessarily be given the same screen time as they used to. So I just think Rob Zombie doesn't get enough credit for the way he can cast a film. Do you have a favorite scene in particular? Ooh, that is. Uh, I'll, I'll I mean... kick this one off. I'll kick this one off. <laughs> okay. While you I think, think I know. <laughs> um, my favorite scene is actually. Fuck. It's like. I'm torn between two, but I'm going to go with the one you probably least expect. I love the opening of this film. I I do really love the opening. I think it's really, like we said, like, is what is, like, the connective tissue, yet, like, setting the stage for the fact that this is going to be a different movie than the last one yeah for our listeners that don't know which one why are you listening to this we're talking spoilers but uh two it's the scene where uh the sheriff and his deputies assault the firefly house and it just begins with this big gnarly grizzly shootout sets the tone that like this is like a lot less like funny than the first one and a lot less cartoonish like this is like gritty realistic violence but I also love the fact that you got you got one of the Firefly family members uh, in a suit of armor kind of defending his castle. Yeah, yeah. We have him in a suit of armor. Um, Otis wakes up next to a corpse, I believe. So I think that's like really setting the stage for like the kind of person he is, which we do see a little bit of in the first film. I think this scene is really important for um, establishing the way we will see Baby throughout the rest of the trilogy. Because, like I said, in the first film, she's she's inspired by Squeaky. So she has this annoying voice and this annoying laugh. She's who lures the people to the house. Um, she has her little, like, musical number. But in this one, she, you know, she gets up and she has to wake up Otis and is like, we need to go and like she kind of like really is you know she's she's given more weight as like an actual person if that makes sense yeah she's like Um, a legitimate valued member of the family not just some not just some throwaway character like she's important to the dynamic of everybody involved yeah and we see um like mama firefly uh try to shoot herself um instead of being taken in um unfortunately does not go as planned so i just it's just a really interesting like the unraveling of the family home is what exposes the real like ligaments of the firefly family themselves it's just really interesting and i and i do really love it it's like also really like a- action packed so it's really like oh this is how we're starting this movie. Oh my goodness. Okay, let's go. Yeah. Like straight right to the point. No time to breathe. Like you're in this. And, and in a way 
it almost paints the sheriff and his deputies like to be even more sadistic than the fireflies. It's an interesting dynamic that's really pushed to the next level by William Forsythe's performance that he gives in this film. Oh yeah. I think that's what's interesting too, because in the first film we have this very, um, you know, Texas chainsaw set up uh, road trip lured by a hitchhiker. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, lured into this house, but, um, you know, and that family is supposed to be our villains, but we like the Firefly families. I think, like, we're kind of, um, he's playing with the gray area of rooting for psychopaths Mm -hmm. (laughs) because the law, the, you know, the good guys who are trying to catch these murderers end up being just as sadistic as them so it's a really interesting like play on the typical uh i guess like almost western mm-hmm. um sheriff like rootin tootin cowboy yeah, like, kind of movie like, where like, you're where you're like he's gonna catch the bandits but no we're like rooting for the fireflies to get out of the situation and William Forsythe really does have this commanding presence of like he walks in the room and it's like I am the fucking law like I will bring that down the hammer upon anybody like in my way. Yeah, it's it's super fun. I think it's really and, and a really good way to start. Yeah, and that's the difference between this and House of a Thousand Corpses was House of a Thousand Corpses is fun like in a cartoony way. But Devil's Rejects is fun in a way of like, oh, everybody in this movie is a goddamn psychopath and I am living for every moment of it. Yeah, I I was going to say that my favorite scene is probably when one of the uh, characters that is being held hostage uh, is finally discovered by housekeeping and runs out of the motel room wearing nothing but a flannel and the skinned face of her boyfriend to only to run into traffic and then get ran over by a truck in like, like the gnarliest fashion manageable like it is just so gnarly like she <laughs> like she is ground beef at the end of this scene and I just think that is so this movie in a nutshell. It's just so gruesome. And I like that because we do get some skinning uh, implied cannibalism. Um, Necrophilia. When Otis wears... <laughs> yeah, we get a lot of that. Like Otis wears the skin of one of the girl's dads in the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, and he does like try to kiss her through the mouth of her dad's face which is super gross, but something about just like tying up a girl, like tying this girl's boyfriend's face to her face is like worse than him wearing his skin. Yeah. (laughs) Like, and it's like, if you don't think that's horrific here, let's have her escape that brief glimmer of hope only for her to get just absolutely decimated by this big hunk of machinery. Yeah, and I think that's kind of like one of the things that places it within the trends of early 2000s horror. Um, that very nihilistic, um, no escape, no happy ending. Yeah. Just 
just downer. Like human life is worth absolutely nothing in this film. Exactly. And that's exactly what I love about it. I would say like honorable mention, the scene itself isn't my favorite, but I just love when Otis says he's the devil and he's here to do the devil's work. Like Mm -hmm. it's just some of the lines he says, especially because his voice is just so captivating I mean, to me it's, it's um, Bill Mosley I mean it, yeah he's just write a line he's gonna sick. say it fucking cool as shit exactly so I love that but other than that that one scene really really is the cherry on top of this film okay I got a rebuttal for cherry on top of this film um okay the ending <laughs> true like okay very true so you got the firefly family they're just all exhausted in the car and they see a roadblock up ahead with like all the sheriff deputies and rather than try and run instead they just rush towards them and get like in a violent ass shootout set to Freebird and get insanely shot up that is like that's another thing that is just so like Rob Zombie mm-hmm. to me, I guess. Like, and I think that also speaks to some of the influences you mentioned before, like Bonnie and Clyde and stuff like that. Like, really, just this like going out, guns ablazing. Mm-hmm. Like, you'll never catch me alive, which wow. we find out is not the case. Um, but it, it really sets that very like they they don't give an f about nothing like (laughs) they are gonna fight their way through and like you could tell they're really they're really uh struggling there but they don't care they're gonna fight it is like this very cool like i'm gonna put my own fate into my own hands moment like i'd rather go down pulling a trigger towards you than than get on my knees for you yeah, I think it's interesting because like we mentioned with the opening of the film, uh, in the opening, um, you know, with the police coming into their home and Mama Firefly tries to shoot herself. And then at the end of the film, um, they decide they're going to try to shoot their way out of it. It's just like a very through connection with like the way they they the way they view the world and the way they view their own lives i guess it's like poetry it rhymes yeah yeah and just the way i think it's interesting like because we see the way they view life that we see the way they view the lives of others and it's interesting to then also like spin that on the way they also view their own lives yeah like life is meaningless and who cares? <laughs> yeah, like when we're saying that we have no regard for human life, that that's us included. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's that's true. That is a very good, very good cherry on top of the film. Damn, this movie's loaded. I had actually forgot how brutal it was until I rewatched it and then went, oh, that's the good stuff. <laughs> yeah, um, I like I had mentioned to you earlier before we started recording that I uh, I watched it with my boyfriend, who's a lot more squeamish and a lot more sensitive to some of the subject matter in horror films. And 
I knew he could handle certain things, but we got to certain points in the film where I was like, should I have <laughs> given him a content warning? No. Part? I don't know. <laughs> but I would just ignore it and let it happen. And go with your gut. He still to enjoy himself. But, but yeah, I just think it speaks to like, even I forgot how brutal it felt at times. I definitely recommend this movie, even to just the casual horror fan that isn't more known to the extreme side, because on top of everything that we said, I think Devil's Rejects at its core is just a very like well-made mid-2000s movie when, let's be honest, the horror genre's quality was kind of in question. And this one, I think, has withstood the test of time all these years later. Um, Plus, it's like, Rob Zombie's a great filmmaker. I mean, I I recommend actually going out and seeking out all of his movies, even House of a Thousand Corpses, just so you can see those seeds be planted and then cultivated in Devil's Rejects. Yeah, he's a really, I think, brilliant and unique filmmaker. And even though you can trace all of his influences and you can maybe trace the trends that are happening around his films through films like this it still stands out as being unique from the others. And I think that's what's really interesting. A lot of times we get homages or copies or remakes um, that are just a little too, I don't know, like uninspired. Mm -hmm. But he very much, like he will stand by his influences. He will stand by his love for horror and still always manage to have a unique rob zombie spin on whatever he's giving you exactly vanna do you want to introduce our musical pairing for this uh, this week yeah so this week we are pairing the devil's rejects with the album wormwood by the acacia strain so east coast metalcore ensemble the acacia strain utilize a bone crushing rhythm section apocalyptic samples and a unique triple guitar assault to deliver their signature blend of hardcore noise death and doom metal their fifth album wormwood released july 20th 2010 and reached number 67 on the u.s billboard top 200 chart and features the well-known single jonestown this release saw the band tour extensively in support of the album, including a spot in the 2010 installment of Van's Warp Tour. Dang. So. Okay, yeah, you you kicked this off because you came to me with this pairing. Yeah, so while this, in a way, speaks a little bit more to maybe House of a Thousand Corpses, there are just so many connections you can make with this album so first of all devil's rejects is a mean film and this album is mean it is nihilistic it it really speaks to those themes we were talking about of like the way you value human life and like how meaningless mm -hmm. things are it's just it's such a like oof it it hits but like one of the biggest connections that like initially stood out to me is the first song on the album beast starts with the monologue from squeaky that is um infamous like from the manson family which is exactly 
who Baby is inspired by, and she actually recites the exact same monologue in one of the home video cuts of House of Thousand Corpses. So literally whenever I watch House of Thousand Corpses or any of Rob Zombie's movies, or I'm listening to one of the songs on this album, like I think of the other. I'm like, oh, I want to like watch that movie now, like, or I want to listen to that album now. So like, that's one of the first things that made me think of it. Um, And just the overall influences, I guess, like the second song is called Hills Have Eyes. Mm-hmm. That is a film that inspired <laughs> this film. So um, I think there's just a lot of those like connections and there's a reason those themes show up both in this film and in the album. Like it's just it's just a really interesting, like I think perfect pairing. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts? So for listeners that aren't aware, my social media handle is a combination of two Acacia Strain songs. Uh, JFC and Doomblade. So when Vanna came to me with this, I was like, oh, fuck yeah, <laughs> was like my initial reaction. Um, all those things she said was true, but also I find this album to be one of the one of the seminal like like extreme metal albums in my canon. Like this is an album that I regularly listen to. Uh, the Carpathian is actually on my daily workout playlist (laughs) i love that (laughs) it's like honestly one of my favorite tracks um you have stuff like bottom feeder um jonestown obviously a hit and i believe is still like a mainstay in the acacia strain set list but um i just want to point out that like vincent benet's vocals on this album are just ruthless as hell like yeah when i say this album is mean Mm-hmm. it's just it's mean it's hard it's brutal like it's just like the perfect it's perfect i don't know yeah it really is it it really is like one of those records that's like completely nihilist in its execution um and even from a technical standpoint the 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 music is also great um you have a deal only guitar and those riffs man i don't I can't even remember what the hell tuning this album is played in, but it's in it's in a tuning that would probably make like regular guitars like their strings all spaghetti like. It's like you said, it's like really it's a it's such an important album for like this kind of music. Um, it's definitely like one of my boyfriend's favorite albums too. Um, we listen to it a lot. <laughs> um, there's a lot of like lyrical uh connections to like the the lyrics are just so hopeless Mm -hmm. i guess is the word another like i guess connection i made like in hills have eyes like there's the the lyrics uh you are not a hero you are not a martyr and it just reminds me of when otis is telling that guy um like this is because you tried to be a hero like i was gonna take it easy on you but now we're gonna it's going to happen like this because you think you're a hero. And that's the same scene when he says like, I'm the devil. I'm here to do the devil's work. And I, it's just another one of those like connections. It just really fits with like the misanthropy of, of this album. Did you know I have a hoodie from this album? (laughs) 
I did not know that. I have Wait, a, you, you should post a picture in it. <laughs> I, I, I will. Um, About two years ago, they started reprinting merch from like the Wormwood era. And I think it was only limited to like 75 pieces um, like per like design. And I, I think man, I remember that. Yeah, I think it was like during COVID. It was like them trying to raise money for something. Um, one of the one of the like charity organizations that the Acacia Strain always donates to, which I'll elaborate more into that in a little bit. Um, but it was uh the gray hoodie with the Nike logo that says Beast. Ooh. So I yeah, that. I think I, I I know exactly what you're talking about because I remember that drop and I remember. I remember wanting to like get something for my boyfriend because it's like one of his favorite albums and you know COVID things suck and mm -hmm. I'm going to spend my money on things I want to spend my money on <laughs> mm -hmm. but um but yeah that's that is so sick I think we have I think he got it on vinyl maybe around that time because that was when we were also Ooh. getting into music he um his fixation during COVID was ripping CDs and then um, I got him a record player and like some records and stuff like that. So we were just really into like listening mm -hmm. to different qualities of the same albums and stuff like that. Did so um, I definitely remember putting having like that album be put on during this time. Did you ever see that meme where it's like Bill Clinton like sitting down listening to all the like vinyl records and like somebody photoshopped it so where it's like all the different like Acacia Strain albums? <laughs> yes oh my gosh um what i was gonna say though is like when you meet members of this band it like totally kills the illusion because vincent benet is like one of the nicest dudes of all time and this band like donates to charities all the time if i recall is he vegetarian or vegan he's one or the other i think i think he's vegetarian but he could be vegan. I don't know. I feel like a lot of vegetarians eventually cross that threshold, which I always love. And Rob Zombie's vegan too. Yeah. So there's another connection. There's a connection there. They're they're yeah, like um, both musicians that like scary on stage, but like are like total like from what I hear, sweethearts. Well, I've met Vincent Benet before and he's total total class act, very nice guy. And from what I hear, Rob Zombie is the same way, too. It just goes to show that, like, at their core, they're they're entertainers. Like, um, yeah, I think like the art, um, mm -hmm. the expression that is chosen for art is not indicative of a person's nature, mm -hmm. which there's so many musicians in. Like these kinds of genres and also so many people within the horror genre that are like genuinely beautiful people. Like I also think like every friend I've made in the horror community is like the most loving and giving person. And that's like such a beautiful community. And I feel that with um a lot of like my friends and like the music scene too. Like I I mean obviously there's a lot of drama that happens, especially, you know, like what we discussed last week, but there are so many people that are just so caring and so giving. And like, you would think that they're so scary, <laughs> like when you listen to their vocals or something, and then they come and say hi to you and they're like 
these sweet cinnamon rolls. Mm-hmm. I love it. It's just like a beautiful, I don't know, it's it's just beautiful. I, I mean, I have nothing more to add to that. You kind of summed that up perfectly. Um, I definitely recommend people check out Wormwood. It's it's way more on the aggressive side, but it's a total banger of an album. I mean, I used to have like basketball shorts that said bottom feeder on it. Yes, I love that. Basketball shorts, like some of the best merch. Yes. Shorts. For those that don't know, like it's a thing that like hardcore metalcore and like deathcore bands like put like their logo on basketball shorts of all things which is another thing that's been bleeding into the horror community too like i was gonna buy this like chucky set that was like a tank top and basketball shorts Uh and i was like when did this start being a thing like with with the shorts but i i showed my boyfriend and he was really into it because he too loves his his basketball shorts (laughs) Can can we make sweats a thing? Like I want like a pair of sweats that say the acacia strain like up the leg. Yeah, I know like joggers are a big thing. No, yuck. But but you might sweats as well just wear different. sweats. Yeah, sweats hit different. I can't hang around my house in joggers. What the hell? <laughs> Constricting my calves. I know. I no, rather yeah. sit at my desk in a pair of like Victoria's Secret pink sweats. <laughs> Yes, yes. Did you, did you happen to see them live like during this era? I did not. I was a big dumb loser who never got to go to any mm-hmm. sort of shows. Um, I've never been to Warp Tour or anything like that. Um, yeah, it was not in the cards for me. I went to a few like smaller shows, like local bands. Um at like a more local venue a lot of my friends had like tribute bands um i saw avenge sevenfold once my dad would take me to see rush with him that was like when i was allowed to go to concerts and stuff other than that i was too poor to do it (laughs) (laughs) i i saw them a couple times during their touring of support for this album i saw them once on warp tour which was pretty wild. I don't think the Warp Tour crowd <laughs> kind of expected uh, how aggressive they were. Um, it was pretty great, though. And then I think I wasn't sure if it was for this album or their follow up album. I saw them on that Eternal Enemies tour with uh, Emir. Oh, and, and uh, that that one was at Soma San Diego on the side stage. So it was like. For for those of you listening that have no idea what the hell I'm talking about, Soma San Diego is a venue in San Diego, obviously. It's in a hollowed out movie theater. Now, you got, I want to say it was like five or six screens and like five of the rooms they turned into one massive room for bigger like bands. And then they kept one room the same size and they called that side stage. And sometimes tours would go there and they would only play side stage and that was one of the tours that played side stage. And it was like, let me tell you. It was like a portal to hell had opened up in the middle of that pit. Oh, I can imagine. That sounds like it would be so fun, yet so dangerous. <laughs> it it was so wild because this was also like that era where it was like, oh, you're either an Acacia Strain fan or an Amir fan. You're not both. And then. 
they randomly announced that they were going to tour together. <laughs> yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, I would have loved to. I think that would have been so, so cool to say that I've been, but I have not. But that's OK. I always recommend seeing them. Unfortunately, they haven't done an album since like 2017. So I don't really know what's going on with that band currently, but hopefully they do make a comeback one day. Um, if not, we will always have Wormwood. Yes, we will. So, Vanna, where can everyone find you on social media? Well, on Instagram, I am the Horror Helion. On Twitter, TikTok, uh, Letterbox, all that good stuff. It is just Horror Helion, and I also have a blog, uh, thehorrorhelion.com, where I'm posting all updates about podcasting adventures uh articles that i'm working on which i actually have something coming out hopefully in the next couple weeks can't say more than that but if you follow me or you follow my blog you'll be updated on that and you can always find me at jfc doomblade on all social medias you can also find my work being published pretty regularly at bloodydisgusting.com and fangoria.com I got some shit I'm working on right now. I think I told you off the air that I can't reveal just yet, but um, things are very exciting stuff. Yeah, things are looking really up in 2023, to be honest. I'll be sure to tell everybody when I can. But other than that, thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Carnal Extremities podcast. Please. Look for us on Spotify and Apple. Leave a five-star review, not anything less, because that doesn't help us. And we'll see you next time. Until next time.